3: iHeartRadio presents Inside the Studio. I'm your host, Joe Levy. So this week's guest on the home edition of the show is singer-songwriter J.P. Sachs. You know, we put together the home edition of Inside the Studio to let you know how artists are coping with lockdown and how it's impacting the way they make music. And J.P. Sachs' song, If the World Was Ending, has become one of those COVID anthems that seems to sum up the moment. Maybe you know the original version from last year, which is a duet with one of the greatest songwriters in pop music today and J.P.'s girlfriend, Julia Michaels. Or maybe you know the new version from this April where 26 other artists jumped on the track, Sam Smith, Kesha, Niall Horan. H.E.R., Keith Urban, Florida, Georgia line. It's a long list, and, and the track benefited Doctors Without Borders. Our quarantine correspondent, Jordan Runtag, caught up with J.P. to talk about that song and much, much more. And after you finish checking out this episode, be sure to give a listen to the iHeartRadio podcast that Jordan hosts, Rivals, Music's Greatest Feuds, which, as the saying goes, is available wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
4: Hello, everybody. My name is Jordan Runtog, but enough about me. I'm joined by a Toronto-born singer, songwriter, and self-described over-sharer. You may know him for his collaboration with Julia Michaels, entitled If the World Was Ending, a song about connection during times of crisis. Although it was written last summer, it's become the theme song for an untold number of couples sheltering in place during the corona pandemic. It can be found on his new EP, Hold It Together, which is brimming with soulful vocal work and confessional lyrics that may make you laugh, cry, and occasionally both at once. I'm thrilled to welcome JP Sachs. JP, how are you? Thanks so much for I being here. I loved that intro. <laughs> Thank you very much. I did my best.
5: Laugh, cry, smile, think. It's, it's the emotional spectrum I want at once. There you go. Yo,
4: oh my God, you got that in spades, my friend. I've got so many things to ask you, but first off, congratulations on the success of If the World Was Ending. I just, the story behind the song, it's like, it's like a Hollywood movie. I mean, I can tell me a little bit of how the song came together first of all. How
5: did you and Julia first link? It's a pretty crazy story. I'm just now realizing that drinking soda water during an interview is such a horrible idea. I'm going to be like meaningful thought burp. Genuine idea burp. You're doing it too?
4: I'm do I'm doing it too. I know. So much. You thought I was a professional. You thought wrong. Well,
5: look. I've got now seltzer right here with the soda water during the interview. I'm going to keep <laughs> drinking it. We can burp mid thought together. Um <laughs> So, perfect segue to the story of this song. So, I would say, <laughs> I would say the, the first thing that kicked everything off was Julia sharing a song of mine called 25 in Barcelona on her Instagram story. Um, when she shared that story, I got a notification saying, Julia Michaels, a tagging story. I was mid-conversation on a road trip about how Julia was the most influential songwriter of our generation. It was a strange, uh, serendipitous moment. So her and I get talking, she suggests we write. Not long after that, we're in the studio and we wrote If the World Was Ending on the day we met.
4: That is insane. I mean, I've read that you wrote the chorus first. If the world was ending, you'd come over right, which is just such an amazing line. It really just strips away all the like trivial day-to-day stuff that gets in the way of, of love. Where did that line come from? Just pop into your subconscious one day? or
5: It was actually an attempt at writing a chorus for another song. So usually the way my my creative process will work is I'll have a verse or pre-chorus or chorus that I love, and then I'll try and write around it, right? So for for that song, a song called 430 in Toronto, which will probably be on my album, I had a verse that I was obsessed with, and I'd been trying to get the chorus to this verse forever. And if the world was ending, you'd come over right was an attempt at a chorus for that verse. It didn't work. But I knew I liked If the World Was Ending, You'd Come Over Right as another line. So it kind of just like was in my journal, living there. So often, my next song will come out of a failed attempt at my previous song. Um, so it was there. I kind of forgot about it. And then when the earthquakes in Los Angeles happened around the 4th of July, 2019, I remembered that failed attempt at a chorus, If the World Was Ending, you Come Over Right, and then brought it into the session with Julia.
4: And the song, it came together really fast, right? I mean, in, in the
5: same day? Uh, yeah, we wrote the song in a couple hours. And all the wow. all the original vocals and original piano from the day we wrote it are what's on the record.
4: Now, was it initially intended as a duet, or was that sort of like a happy happy accident?
5: It's funny. Uh, so, you know, sometimes in sessions like that, you don't really know what you're trying to do. You're just getting together to be creative. I'm not sure Julia had it in her mind as a duet, but I knew that I knew it was going to be a duet. So... <laughs> When I was cutting the second verse, so she sings the second verse on the record, but originally I was I was trying to sing the second verse and I couldn't get it right. And it was like the most blessed failure I've ever made was not being able to sing that second verse because Julia got so frustrated with me not being able to go, how to think about you without it ripping my heart out. She got so frustrated with my inability to sing that rhythm that she was like, fuck, just let me do it. So she comes into the studio to show me how to do it, but as soon as she started singing on the record, I'm like, "I'm not coming back." Like you are singing that part. That's how this is going to go.
4: Now, I got a question about one of your lyrics. Feel free to to plead the fifth on this. Uh, that night, we went drinking, stumbled in the house, and didn't make it past the kitchen. Can you elaborate on that? Were you admiring a new coffee maker, really clean linoleum?
5: I think it, I think it's about the potential of a kitchen island. <laughs> Gotcha.
4: Now, was there a moment when you knew that this song was, was really something special?
5: Uh, yeah, honestly, like I had a, um, I had recorded a voice note of Ben Rice who engineered, uh, all the vocals and piano on the first session. I had a voice note of the playback at the end of the day. So before he mixed anything and I must've listened to that voice note, which is, that's like an incognito thing. Like I, I'm not sure they knew I did it. I did that. I must've listened to it like a hundred times. Now, At the time, I wasn't sure if I was just excited because Julia was on it, or it was this new song, or hearing our voices together felt really exciting and special, but um, I knew I loved it from the jump. I think it took Julia a little bit longer. I think that at the end of the day, like that's all we can ever really do as an artist. Just make yourself love a song and hope that enough people are, share your taste that they're gonna love it too.
4: to sort of state the obvious here, you released a song with the chorus, If the World Was Ending, You'd Come Over Right on the eve of a global pandemic lockdown. I mean, the, the timing is, you know, I mean, do you get people saying like, are you part of the Psychic Friends Network? I mean, the timing is nuts. I, how do you feel knowing that a lot of couples are using this as sort of their, their quarantine theme right now?
5: Yeah, we get accused of insider information on Twitter a lot. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've clarified many times that we, we had no idea we wrote the song in July, came out in October, we had we had not heard of anything related to coronavirus at that time. How does it feel? I mean, I think at the end of the day, the song is kind of at its core about putting love before everything else. And if there was ever a time in history that uh, it felt relevant to put love before everything else, this is certainly one of them.
4: I can say that again. And in your case, you did come over, you're quarantining together
5: with, with Julia right now,
4: I, I, I may say I, you are,
5: you are together. I did come over. I'm at her, I'm at, in her guest room as we speak.
4: <laughs> was there a moment when you thought that your, um, your relationship might be more than professional?
5: Yes. <laughs> was there a specific moment? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think I knew within 30 seconds. Wow. She texted her manager the day, the day of our session saying she thought she was in love.
4: Wow, so lightning struck both of you. I, I saw the, uh, the music video for the, the demo version of the song that you put out. And for people who haven't seen it, it is so great. It is uh, JP and Julia recounting their relationship via text on both sides of the screen. It's, it's really great. I highly recommend watching it. Wow, so it was, it was immediate for you too. Uh,
5: yeah, we, we went on our first date the next day. We wrote the song on a Saturday. We went on a Sunday. We were officially a couple, eight days later.
4: What was the date? What was it? What'd you do?
5: Uh, we went to the park, and then we went to a Peruvian restaurant, and then we saw a movie. That's a very good first date. The park was the main part. We were at the park for like three hours. That was like it was supposed to be a day date. So it was kind of like three dates in one. Got oh yeah.
4: And now you're together. You're sharing a home. Two incredible songwriters. Do you feel really productive in lockdown, or is it hard to get creative right now? How you feeling?
5: I mean, I got lucky. I'm locked in with the best songwriter in the world. So. You know, I hear my friends complaining about Zoom sessions, um, which honestly, I I also (laughs) complain about. But if the only person I get to write with in person is is Julia, then I lucked out. Uh, And we've been honestly the first like month and a half, we weren't too productive. And then we caught a wave. I think over the last like four weeks, we've written a lot, a lot of songs for her, a lot of songs for me, songs for others. We just kind of caught a wave.
4: What has she taught you? I mean, obviously, you're an incredibly accomplished songwriter yourself. But what has she taught you about songwriting?
5: Hmm. Uh, Good question. So I think usually my instincts melodically are to just follow the, follow the cadence of a lyric. Like it's more, it's more in my wheelhouse to be like, if the world is ending, you come over, right? Like nothing too, there's nothing too distracting from the lyric itself going on melodically. I'll do a lot of like, I'll stumble into interesting rhythms melodically because I'll follow the like rhythm of the words. It isn't too often we'll all consciously go, like, how can I make that melody around that line jump around more? How can it be more exciting? And and Julia is able to both be sincere in the way she presents lyrics, but also really stretch what the melodic possibilities are. And I think from writing with her, like I've really started to expand the way I think about that.
4: And I wanted to ask you that about that, because so many songwriters will say, you know, my songs are really journal entries, but in your case, that's literally the case right as so many of your lyrics
5: begin as as diary entries for you you know i have a song called 25 in barcelona the whole first verse is a journal you know i thought you would have called yesterday i said i didn't want you to but i still thought you would i don't know what i expected you to say but i turned 25 and had in my mind you'd be a part of that in some way like that's that is the journal entry and to what i was saying before like that melody on that verse is i thought you would have called yesterday i said i didn't want you to but i still thought you would I don't know what I expected you to say, which is very much the same cadence as I would have just spoken it to you a second ago. Um, whereas Julia will like, she'll, she'll stretch the possibilities of what that cadence can be, what that melody can be. And that's been fun for me to explore with her and now like on my own in my writing a little bit more. Um, I guess in 25 Barcelona, I do a little because the chorus jumps, you know. Halfway out the world all these people which is funny that that would have been the song that she responded to the first time because it's a little bit more like, I hadn't really thought of that, but it's like a little bit more the approach she would take to a course than the one i take traditionally.
4: Now, when you sit down to start a song, do you hear a fragment of a piece of music in your mind and then you go to your diary and look for a passage that you feel would fit with that piece of music? Or do you take words in your diary that really mean a lot to you and try to write music to fit that?
5: Uh, usually it's like, it's a line or two that'll be like, that feels like a song. Yeah. I would say more often than not, it's the beginning. I'll have like the first line of a song. Like I have a song called Explain You where I go, my therapist called you a learning experience, 180 an hour that's all the inventions missing you's getting fucking expensive. And that was the beginning of that song. It took me forever to write the second verse of that song because I liked the first verse so much. I didn't. I, I didn't know what I wanted the second verse to be. And usually I try like, I try not to have favorite parts of my songs because I find if I have a favorite part, it usually means the other parts aren't as good. Oh, wow. Um, So it's like the challenge of like, how does, and, and that doesn't mean every part needs to be the moment. You know, it all kind of works together in itself, but you can always tell as a writer when you're like, there's the part of your song that you're always really excited for to hear yourself or excited to get to when you're playing it for someone else. and You want your whole song to feel like that.
4: Is it hard for you to ever choose the moments of yourself that you kind of want to keep back and keep private versus the ones you want to put in your song
5: for fans? No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the simple answer, no. I don't know. I think like every job comes with its occupational hazards. And if if the occupational hazard of being an artist and getting to sing my songs around the world for people that I'm so excited to meet in countries that I've always wanted to go to is uh, is sharing a little bit more than it's comfortable sometimes that I'm okay with that. I also think there's something very empowering about taking the most vulnerable parts of your life and making them the thing that you get applauded for, making them the thing that people sing along to. It's uh, it's a reminder for me that it's it's in my humanity, that my my power exists. And I hope that it can also exist as a reminder for people listening to it that sometimes the parts of your life where you find shame are the parts of your life where you're the most human. That's the part where we find each other.
4: That's a beautiful way to put it. I I wonder, as a writer, do you ever find it difficult to be present in a moment, either a good moment or a bad moment? Because there's a little part of you in the back of your mind that's writing this down and thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a great song. This is going to be a great lyric.
5: That's definitely a thing, but I try not to do it. I, I've yelled at Julia for, for in the middle of a very sincere conversation, like, you know, I'll say something like heartfelt. and and candid. And she'll be like, baby, you should put that in a song. We're like, go away. Talk to me. Not right now. We're not in a session. (laughs)
4: Yeah. The hazards of two songwriters dating. Yes. Now, what is a a day like for you on a a songwriting session? Like, how do you start? What's your, first of all, what's your setup? Where do you like to work? Uh, Anywhere with
5: a piano. A real piano is a really important part of a songwriting session for me. And you'd be surprised how many studios don't have real pianos in them. I like bouncing back and forth instrument to instrument, like writing a bit, sitting at the piano, writing a bit, sitting, you know, with the guitar, writing a bit, listening to a track. Because sometimes there's like, there's different ideas that come in different setups. You know, if The World Was Ending was written just at the piano, but Explain You was written on guitar, on piano, on listening to track, on going for walks, on being in the shower, you know sometimes like that environmental shift is really useful. So I like being in studios where there's lots of options.
4: I was going to say, what do you do when you're totally stuck on a song? What, How do you completely just flush your mind, watch an ASMR video, go for a walk?
5: Walks are super helpful. Yeah. And I, I try and like stay off my phone. I allow myself to be bored because boredom is a really productive space. And if you're like, well, fuck, I didn't get the song like... I'm going to scroll through Instagram or I'm going to watch a YouTube video. You're, you're just, you're occupying your mind in a way that doesn't let it marinate on the idea. Whereas like, if you just like have a conversation or go for a walk or just like sit with your thoughts or like have a shower, like that empty space is super productive. That shit scientific too. There's a book called The End of Absence, which talks about like the uh, impact on creativity from eliminating boredom and how boredom is the most fruitful space for a creative.
4: Oh, wow. Oh, I got to check that out. And Well, being at home all the time, it, it, it's that's got to be really hard to be bored because it's filled with distractions. Like, what are some of your biggest distractions
5: from from being at home? Biggest distractions. I mean, I, I really love Jeopardy.
2: Oh, yeah. A lot
5: of Jeopardy, a lot of Bananagrams. Anything dorky, I'm usually about it. Um, <laughs> those are the main ones. Board games and game shows.
4: Ooh, i um, Big Jeopardy fan myself, big, any
5: kind of like trivia stuff I am absolutely all about. I honestly think that if I could make it onto Celebrity Jeopardy, that would be my, that would be my, my like point of success. That would be the, that'd be the max for me. Yes.
4: Uh, I'm I'm writing that down. We're going to, we're going to make that happen. What has making music taught you about yourself?
5: Mostly everything. Um at least my emotional self, I'm not sure how I would figure out anything if I didn't have songs. It's kind of the first place I met myself as like a 15-year-old who's sitting at the piano trying to figure out my feelings and songs. But I mean, I think for everyone, there has to be that space where you listen to yourself as a practice. You know, for me, songwriting is very meditative. Um, I'm really grateful to work in a career where listening to myself is required for my success. But I think regardless of that, we figure out who we are listening to ourselves and, and figuring and listening to others and recognizing what it means to be yourself differently in different situations and with different people. And there's got to be that point of reflection where like all of that kind of pieces itself together. And for me, that's always been songwriting.
4: I'm sure people have said this way better than I'm about to, but a song has got to be a hell of a mirror to literally hear yourself singing back to you, whatever those thoughts are. And, you know, they always say that every character in a dream is you, every line in a song is is, is you. And there's probably a lot to unravel from that. I never thought of that.
5: I mean, that's that's the challenge with making sure it's always sincere. Because if I'm not being honest in these songs, you ask if it's hard to be candid, if it's, if it's hard to share parts of yourself with a song. To me, like in the long term, being dishonest is more of a risk because it is a mirror. It is where I'm capture pieces of myself. So I'm lying in those songs. Then five years later, I look back on these parts of myself that were dishonest and like, that sounds like it would fuck my sense of self.
4: Oh, absolutely. What is next for you? Like, where do you want to take your music from, from this point?
5: Uh, I'm excited to explore different kinds of feelings. Um, I think it's easy as a songwriter to get caught up in the, uh, the really alluring mystique of sadness And I I do think it's an important challenge for every songwriter to figure out who you are in more than one feeling. So, you know, if the world was ending is a longing, nostalgic, loving song. Um, And it's, it's one of the reasons I'm proud of the, the selection on the EP is like, there are different versions of what it feels like to be me on that EP. So I would say what's, what's next is I'm working towards an album. that will come out at the end of this year. And I'm going to try and fill that album with songs that represent as many versions of what it feels like to be me as possible. What it feels like to be me being a silly, a silly loving dork on a Saturday afternoon, you know, going for a drive with my girlfriend, you know, what it's like to be me at three in the morning alone at my piano, what it's like to be me. Like, you know, it's, it it has, I want it to feel, I want it to feel holistic like that. Not just like one version of a feeling. So that—that's—that's that's what's exciting me about this album because I think there's—it's already starting to happen. And the next songs we going to put out are definitely different feelings already. Oh,
4: can't wait to hear
5: it.
4: I know one of your dream collaborators is Paul McCartney, who's one of my all-time favorite humans. Sorry to my future children who might be listening to this, but he will always be. What is it about
5: Paul McCartney that you love? Uh, Well, he he was the first songwriter I really fell in love with. You know, I taught myself how to play both the piano and guitar by learning every song in the Beatles songbook. Wow. Unfortunately, George Harrison and John Lennon are off the table, so Paul McCartney is my dream collaborator. Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder and Alessia Cara. (laughs) Oh, ideally together. That'd be cool.
4: Oh, uh, well, you, you kind of almost got there with the um, with the the live stream that you did to raise money for Doctors Without Borders. That was
5: incredible. A lot of my dream collaborators are in there. Like basically everyone in that video is someone I want to collaborate with. But like Sam Smith, Alessia Carr at the top of that list. Oh, for, for those
4: of you who haven't seen it, I, I strongly recommend it. An incredible list of people. Her, Keith Urban, Sam Smith. Please go check it out. JP, my, my last question, what is the first thing you want to do when this pandemic is over? With trips you want to take, people you want to hug?
5: Well, hugs are, hugs are a, huge, a huge thing that I'm looking forward to. Just like uh, social distance, irresponsibly long hugs with my friends will be nice. I don't know, it, it's an incredibly cliche answer, but I miss touring a whole lot. I, I do these every Thursday live streams on my Instagram and they're fun and they're a little bit of a band-aid solution for my love of touring in performing, but it's just singing to an audience trapped in your cell phone. I'm not sure how long that's going to last for me. Yeah, It's just, it's not the same. And, you know, it's, I'm, I'm very lucky that my audience has grown over the last three months. So by the time I finally do get to tour, it might even be a bigger tour than it would have been originally, which is exciting. Um, But like, I mean, I want to go to the Philippines and I want to go play in, you know, Taiwan. I want to do shows in, in, the Netherlands and, and, you know, Turkey. I wanna, I just want to travel the world. I want to play a show in Lima, Peru. For whatever reason, the largest audience I have in any one city is in Lima. And I want to go play a show in Lima.
4: Well, when you do, I want to go too before we go I absolutely love your song 25 in Barcelona you've introduced to me the topic of a breakup vacation I did a breakup semester abroad amazing so it makes me feel definitely a lot healthier than my version so thank you for that there's
5: a video on YouTube I think it's still there that we did around the release of 25 in Barcelona because after that song came out, I heard so many stories from people being like I want on a breakup trip yeah oh I saw the video yeah we we recreated the music video with other people's breakup trip footage super fun (laughs) I felt way less alone. Yeah. So thank you for that. It was I such, appreciate it. It was such an encouragement for me on why, on just that idea that I've heard so much in so many different, so many different um, kinds of arts and different mediums. And people say the more personal, the more universal. Yeah. For whatever reason, songwriters, some songwriters stray away from that. They're like, I want it to be relatable. And I'm like, and so favorite, they go general. My favorite movies are about lives that are nothing like mine. And yet, I'm moved by the humanity in them. So why can't I talk about my 25th birthday in Barcelona and exactly what I was feeling and have that still be relatable? And the amount of stories I heard from people being like, me too, was so encouraging for, you know, the kind of art that I want to continue to make.
4: And it was in Barcelona too, by the way, where I went.
5: (laughs) You took your semester abroad in Barcelona. Amazing. Did it help? (laughs)
4: No, no. But I'm I'm still here. The
5: truth is the truth <laughs> is my, the song didn't really help either.
4: Uh, it's gonna be tough like playing a song about somebody that you're heartbroken by every night at you know a different club that probably might make it worse, I guess.
5: Perpetuates the nostalgia. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I realized that uh, the same when you first write the song, it's cathartic, right Because this emotion that's so heavy on your heart is now in something other than you. And that helps. But then, fast forward six months, and the feeling isn't really in you as much, and now you're still performing the song. So the same thing you put the feeling into is now putting it back into you. Ooh, ooh! I never thought of that. That's the that's the double edged sword of writing songs uh, while moving through a heartbreak. But uh, it got so much easier.
4: You always have a good sense of humor about it, too. I always appreciate it in your music. I mean, from, you know, Same Room and so many in your songs. Sad, corny. I won't say the last word because it's a family show, but so many of your songs. I'm so I've cussed so much. I'm so sorry. No, come on. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) JP, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a true
5: pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for caring. I appreciate it. (laughs)
3: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Inside the Studio Home Edition, a production of iHeartRadio. For more episodes of Inside the Studio and other shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.